payment processing, and industry ripe for disruption. Hello everyone, welcome to Industry Focus. This is Gabby LaPera in the studio, and joining me on the phone is John Maxfield. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys are going to have to bear with me today because I'm a little bit sick. I'm going to try and keep the coughing down to a minimum. Um, today we're kind of doing a follow-up episode. I don't know if you guys remember, we interviewed um, Mr. Oxman from the uh, Payment Processing Foundation. No, that's not the name of it. But anyway, it was a very, very interesting episode um, where we talked about how uh, payment processors worked and what what was upcoming in the field Um, and a listener from New Orleans he wrote in and said that while it was very very interesting he was kind of upset that we hadn't had a chance to um, discuss the the relative merits of the companies mentioned in the podcast Um, which he's right but uh, I mean I guess between me and the listeners and you Maxfield uh, it's it's always kind of hard to talk about uh, about whether or not you think a company is going to succeed, because when when you have a lobbyist in the room, right? Because <laughs> they think they all they're all going to succeed, right? And that's that's their job. So, and I think he did a really excellent job of kind of explaining what was coming in the field. But like you know, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna shoot himself in the foot by saying, yeah, you know what? I really think that like I don't know, Venmo is going to succeed. Um, <laughs> So anyway, um, let's just do kind of like a little bit of a recap. Um, the payment processing, like the, the the whole way that it works, it you have four kind of distinct parties involved, right? You have the issuer, the acquirer, the consumer, and the merchant. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Maxfield? Yeah. So you know when you talk about like what 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 like what are payments or what is payments i don't even know to be honest with you like if that's a plural or a singular noun but <laughs> let's say let's say it's plural just cuz it sounds better so so what are payments payments is basically just you know what it sounds like you have me like i go to a store right and i go i buy something with my credit card so i'm a consumer then you have the person you have the store which is the merchant that is actually you know, takes the transaction but then i have my bank and the merchant has their bank and what the payment system does, uh, companies like Visa, MasterCard, American Express, is they tie all of these things together. They provide kind of that, that the technological infrastructure underlying that. So when I go and pay, they take the money from my bank. They, so the merchant lets everybody know, and they take the money from my bank, and then uh, they put it into the merchant's bank. And that's basically just what the payment system is. Right. Um, so in this case, in the in the scenario that I kind of constructed before, uh, Visa, Mastercard, and Amex are kind of issuers. So like they issue the credit cards, um, and then the acquirer, the like end acquirer, is going to be the the merchant's bank, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Amex, Visa, and Mastercard. These are kind of like the big the big players in the credit card field right now. Um, there's also Discover, but Discover doesn't really doesn't really make that much money. Yeah, and to, and to kind of put it in perspective, I mean, this is really an oligopoly is what this market is, right? With, the, with these three really big players on top, and it can put some numbers to it. So Visa in 2014, which is, if you look at the 2015 10K, it's, it's the most recent kind of competitive landscape data that they give. So in 2014, they processed 98 billion transactions, okay? equal to $4.7 trillion worth in transactions. Second was MasterCard at 60 billion transactions and $3.3 trillion worth. And then Amex was at 
um, billion transactions worth roughly a trillion dollars. But then Discover comes quite a ways down at 2.4 billion transactions, so roughly a third of Amex. So when you're thinking about the payments landscape, you're really talking about, right now at least, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. Right. And this is actually really interesting, right? Because Visa and MasterCard are on what's called an open loop system, whereas Amex is on a closed loop system. So the way they make money is actually slightly different. Right. That's exactly right. So so Visa and MasterCard, all they do is provide these services that connect everybody together, and then they just take a little cut from that. But the closed loop system, which is what Amex does, is they also provide the banking services. So if you look at and where you can really see the difference between these business models is if you look at their income statement. So Visa, uh, MasterCard, all of their income comes in basically services fees, whereas at American Express, I think it's roughly a fifth of their income also comes from from net interest income, and that is so you know you have a credit card, you have the credit card loan underlying the credit card, but as opposed to that loan sitting on a bank at say Bank of America, Citigroup, or J.P. Morgan or Wells Fargo, that American Express actually houses that loan itself, so it gets the interest the interest payments on that, which is a great business model if you can swing it. Um, but with Amex, one of one of the issues is that they uh, charge higher fees to have it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, their, their, their interchange fees are much higher. But the, the thing about American Express and you know, right now is that it is in such flux because it's losing a substantial share of its credit card portfolio to Citigroup because it's losing that that Costco relationship. So even now, like when you're going to be looking at your your the American Express Sorry, numbers, just, just they're going to be in a lot of flux. Brief pause. Um, for listeners who don't know, uh, Costco used to have a branded uh, credit card that they that they had in partnership with Amex, um, and Amex made a ton of money off of that for a, a long ton. time. Yeah, I mean it was like a central part. Of American Express's business, but then when that I think the the agreement goes back 16 years or something like that. But then when it came up for renewal, they just couldn't come to terms on it, and Citigroup stepped in to take over that credit card portfolio. Yeah, it's it's definitely really interesting. Um, and and one of the things that so Amex, Visa, Mastercard, you're probably sitting there thinking like, yeah, I've already heard of all these companies. That the, these facts that you're telling me are very interesting, but like. What are the opportunities here, right? Like, are there are there any opportunities for disruption? Um, what are the competitive advantages of each relative company? That's probably, I hope, what you're thinking because that's what we're going to talk about next. Yeah, and let's and and just to kind of tee up this conversation, let 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 me put the perspective this all this in perspective. So. Visa, okay, their operating margin, which is basically their revenue minus all their operating expenses, is 65%. Okay, now when you think about like in your head, like, well, what is 65? Is that great? Is that is that bad? Well, then if you think about like, well, let's compare it to another company that probably has really, really amazing margins. Let's compare it to Google. Google's operating margin is 27%. Okay, so again, Visa's operating margin is 65%. Google which, according to Charlie Munger, probably has the greatest you know, competitive moat of any company of all time, their, their, their operating margin is 27%. So this just goes to show how powerful of a position these three companies, Visa, American Express, and MasterCard, have in that market. Yeah, and it's, it's easy for them. I mean, one, they have like this huge amount of market share too, but it's it's also um, easy for them to have such a large operating margin because it's not like it's a high cost 
for them to provide these services. Like once you have the the infrastructure in place, they can make they can make bank, which is what they're doing. Yeah, and that's right. And, and a really good lesson here is that you know it's almost like a software company, right? I mean, once you've made the software, and in, in Visa's case, once you've established that infrastructure, then it's just a matter of scaling, right? So if you can scale it up to a trillion transact or a trillion dollars worth of of, of payments, as opposed to a hundred billion or you know four point seven trillion. I mean, you're just going to make a lot more money, but your expenses aren't going to ratchet up very quickly at all. Right? They're not going to they're not going to rise at the same rate as the amount of money that you're bringing in, which is right. huge for Visa. Um, and this is actually this is actually one of the competitive advantages, right? That Visa and Amex and Mastercard do have is that they do have these established infrastructure networks. Right. I mean, you know, when you think about competitive advantage, you know. Th- the network effect is probably this is the one that really comes to mind with these companies, right? Because they already have all these merchants tied into it. They already have the big banks tied into it. So they have those relationships and those networks that just make it easy. Because you know what Visa you know really does is it provides clearing and settlement services, right? And and that requires people on both sides of the transaction to trust each you know to trust the person that's providing that service. And Visa has established that. And so that network, that network effect is clearly very, very powerful when you consider how wide that margin is and thus how seemingly prone to disruption this industry is, but yet this fact that it's still not been disrupted. So far, we've covered two different types of competitive advantages that these companies have, right? Which is the high capital investment required to even start building the infrastructure. And then once you have the infrastructure, um, the creation and maintenance of these networks that allow these companies to function, right? Like, there's a lot of trust going on there, and there's also years and years and years of legal contracts that are binding these people together. Um, this right. isn't this isn't something that's easy for a small upstart company to kind of break into, right? And the other thing you have is that you know this is a service that is basically provided to banks. Fundamentally, is what it is. And when you go back to the beginning of Visa, what was Visa? What was a consortium of banks coming together to provide the service? Well, nowadays, one of the other reasons that it'd be so hard to break into this is that it's not like the banks can come together, you know, to do something like this again to to then maybe break the oligopoly that you know American Express, Visa, Mastercard have, and they wouldn't be able to, presumably, because of antitrust concerns. Yeah, um, which is which which kind of casts Visa and Mastercard the way they are now in, in a very interesting light. It does. It's like kind of the other side of that. There's kind of antitrust, you know, kind of questions on both sides of the coin here. And I don't know if you remember this, but I believe Amex actually recently um, had to or just finished a lawsuit where they were being subjected to antitrust claims. I, I don't remember that, but you know, it doesn't. You know, anytime you have such powerful players, I think antitrust is always kind of operating on the periphery. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so like I said, it's it's very hard for for small companies to break into this space, which is why it's interesting that the people that you are seeing who might be disrupting the space are Apple and Walmart of all people. Yeah, I mean, and and these are two. So you have Apple Pay. Right, which is a payment system that operates over the iPhone. And then you have Walmart's kind of. I think you know when we were looking at it, it looks like it's an. You know, it's also it's in a very early stage. It looks like in, in, in its beta phase. Uh, but currency, these are two very different things. And and so here's the interesting things about Apple Pay. So when you think about Apple Pay, you think like, well, this clearly must be really disruptive, right? But 
what Apple Pay is fundamentally, and this is kind of how Visa explains it, is that it's just an on-ramp onto the existing infrastructure. So typically when you go to the store, you just use your credit card, right? You'd swipe it or you'd put it in one of those horrible chip readers that they're still trying to figure out how to make them take less than two minutes to process the information. But, you know, you'd, and then that would, that's how you would access their network. Well, now with Apple Pay, the way it works is that, you know, you just put your Visa, your MasterCard, or your American Express, your Discover, whatever it is, onto Apple Pay, and then it just uses near-field near communications to just do the same thing that you would be doing if you swiped your card. So it's just another way to access the, the existing infrastructure. Yeah, um, which, is, which is really interesting, right? Because that kind of, you know, how, how disruptive is Apple Pay ultimately, right? Like, maybe we get rid of our physical credit cards and that's it. Right. right. And, the, and the other thing to keep in mind is that, like, if it's not you, one way to get a sense of how disruptive it, you know, Apple Pay in particular is, is to look at what Visa, MasterCard and these companies think about it. Right. And when you look at Visa, MasterCard, and Amex, they're all on board with Apple Pay. Oh, yeah. They love it because it just means more payments for them, which is right. ultimately what exactly. they want. Yeah, that's exactly right. So to them, they're seeing it as a benefit. But here's the thing. And we were talking about this before the show. Is the question is like in the short term, right? It seems like a great way for Visa, Mastercard, American Express to boost up their payment volume, to make payments easier, to reduce the amount of, you know, the percentage of payments that are still to be done over cash, and shift that over to their networks. So it seems like a great way to do that in the short run. But here's the question, right? Over the long run, let's say that Apple Pay really takes off, right? And let's say that everybody adopts this, right? With iPhones, the more people buy iPhones because they want to have access to it and all, all, all this, all these different things. Well, at that point, then if you have them, you know, a large share of all purchases going over Apple's network, that puts Apple in a really strong competitive position vis-a-vis Mastercard, uh, Visa, and American Express. And you just have to wonder that, you know, if Apple is able to position itself like that, if it would eventually start to charge more for you know, using that on-ramp, if you will. Uh, to the existing payments network. Yeah, it's it's definitely really interesting. Um, whereas currency, which is the the product created by Walmart, um, that is still in beta test. I don't think you can get it unless you live in Columbus, Ohio, or I guess you can download it, but it's not going to do anything for you. It's trying to cut out the the payment processors entirely. Like it it they Walmart and its little consortium decided that they were spending too much money uh, paying the credit card processors, and they were gonna just cut out the middleman entirely and um, hook up customers' bank accounts directly to Walmart or whoever it is, and that way they could get paid directly without having to pay any service fees. Yeah, I mean, and if you think about it, you think like, well, why would Walmart want to get involved with this? And if you, and and but if you look at its income statement, right, and you look at its revenue, it earns like four hundred plus billion dollars worth of revenue. And if these interchange fees, and it's a discount retailer, right? So it's the name of Walmart's game is to sell things as inexpensively as possible. Well, if you look at interchange fees, so they're anywhere from one to three percent. Three percent being American Express, one one percent, you know, on lower end of the spectrum, you have your Visa and your Mastercards. Well, that one to three percent, if Walmart could somehow reduce, take that out of the equation, so therefore just take Visa, Mastercard, and American Express totally out of the equation, it could drive down the cost to its 
consumers even more. So this is not you know, a tangential thing for Walmart. This is a fundamental piece of its business. Now the question is whether it can get its own payment system you know, up and going. But if it can, that, that's unquestionably bad news for Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. Right, but of course there are other concerns with the Walmart system, right? Um, so I don't know if you remember the QR codes from a few years ago. I don't. I don't. <laughs> They're like these, like the, these blocks that were just like speckled black and white things, and you could take a picture of it with your phone, and it would redirect you to a website or, uh, I don't know, like give you something. I don't know. Do you remember? Do you remember like they would have it, and you, it's like take a picture with your smartphone, and it'll give you all this interesting information. I remember exactly. I know now. I now know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, the Walmart currency app uses QR codes to make these payments. Oh, it's like the '90s, but like not the '90s. Right. Like more like, it's like the early 2000s. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a blast from the past. Exactly. Um, and it's it's just kind of bulky, right? Because like Apple Pay, Google Wallet, uh, Android Pay, all of those things operate using near field technology. You just hold up your phone to the to the PayPad, and it beams the information. That it needs, then they talk to each other, and that's it. Whereas with the with the Walmart thing, you actually have to pull up your QR code, and you have to like take a picture, and or maybe the thing takes a picture. It's not a hundred percent clear to me exactly how the QR codes work for the it currency. It seems clumsy, though. It does exactly. It's it's just an extra step that you don't need to take right when you're just swiping a card or holding up your phone to to pay, just tapping it. So yeah, and, and yeah. here's here's kind of another interesting thing in all that. I mean, so talking about kind of the clumsy, the cl- evidently the clumsiness or the way that that you know you have to access uh, currency. You know, you, these these new chip readers. If you think about <laughs> Apple Pay coming at the same time, I mean, like when you, I, I mean, I'm still like blown away by the fact that like they introduced this technology, and you know, I'm sure they're. I mean, these are extremely smart people trying to figure this stuff out. But clearly, there's something in there with this chip reader that makes it difficult to process these things quickly. Because you put your card in, I mean, it could take 20, 30 seconds, right? And if you have a long line, right. I mean, that could that could take a while. So then you think like, oh, well, Apple Pay is coming at the exact, almost the exact same time, right? That you're adding all these additional, all this additional time. To this new credit card technology, and Apple Pay, evidently, I haven't, I, I haven't tried it, but evidently, it is almost instantaneous. So it's almost, you know, if anything, you would think that these new card readers are going to drive adoption of Apple Pay. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, part of the reason it takes so long with the chip reader is because it's generating a new code for the transaction, uh, like that can only be used for that particular transaction, which is why it takes. 20 to 30 seconds at a time to process as opposed to just swiping where you're just transferring information off the magnetic strip. Um, but with, with with the Apple Pay, you're right, it, it would be a lot, or it is a lot faster. But another consideration to take into with, with the Apple Pay is that they're, all the merchants, or most of the merchants in the MCX, which is the consortium that Walmart runs, have disabled the near field technology on their payment pads so that you can't use Apple Pay or Google Wallet or Android Pay at any of their stores. You have huh. to use currency, and currency hasn't been rolled out to those stores yet. <laughs> so mean, you either have the- to, so you basically have to just use the either the swipe or the the chip. It sounds like yeah. In in the majority of Walmart stores across the country, if you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you have the beta test of the currency, then you can use that at their stores. But you can't pay with Apple Pay anywhere else in our at any Walmart stores in the rest of the country. Like they obviously don't want that, right? Because that would be competing with their network. 
That's so interesting because you could also see how like a company like Walmart, which makes its money on volume, would want to be pushing transactions through as quickly as possible. So if, but yeah, that's so interesting because you would think that like they would want to, if Apple Pay is significantly faster for a volume retailer, but then you have that current, the, you know, the, you know, the competing currency you know, platform that, that, that they're trying to get up and going. And I guess, I guess in their analysis, getting that up and going is more important than moving their, you know, moving those lines. Yeah. Do, do you, do you want to hear? I just pulled up a list of merchants that are part of the merchant customer exchange. Do you want to hear what yeah. some of them are? Yeah, let's hear. Yeah, let's hear this. Okay, we've got Wendy's, Wawa, uh, 7-Eleven, Chili's, uh, Baskin Robbins, Bed Bath and Beyond, Dunkin' Donuts, Exxon, CVS, obviously Walmart, Gap. Like it's the list just goes on and on. Hy-Vee, which was my favorite grocery store in Nebraska. I don't think they exist in Virginia. Um, and wait, so let me get this straight. And so all of these have disabled near field communications on their readers. I'm not sure if all of those have. I know that Walmart definitely has. Yeah. But like there's the potential for them to for all of those merchants to disable the near field communications on theirs as well. Hmm. Um if if you're a listener and you have used near field communication your Apple Pay or whatever at any of the merchants I just listed, definitely write in cuz I'm really interested about on hearing about this, right? Yeah. I mean, and this is like you know, to just get back to all like I mean this is such an um, an unbelievable opportunity for disruption. Again, so you'd think that like something is going to get whether it's currency or whatever it is, you think that something is going to happen in this space at some point and I think that's why so many fintech companies are focused on it. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see if actually anybody can actually tap into it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that's that that that's really interesting about currency and Apple Pay is are they going to be able to get people to adopt it, right? Because I mean, taking a piece of plastic out of your wallet and swiping it is pretty fast, and people are really used to it, right? So, how are they going to convince people to 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 change over? Yeah. Well, and if they change over, what does that do to, for Apple's business model, right? I mean, think about what a powerful position it would be in, not only vis-a-vis the financial uh, industry, but also vis-a-vis. Uh, Android f- phones, right? Because if people, if more and more people, and more and more retailers are adopting Apple Pay, and Android doesn't come up with a product that is, I'm sure that they're working on. Well, it, Android, they don't, they don't. Android does have a Android Pay, I believe it's called. Um, right. But it's definitely, I don't think it has quite as big of a market share as Apple Pay does. Yeah, and if you think about Android, Android is, I mean, you know, you have, you know, Android. It's more all that kind of, you know, those phones. The companies that make those phones are are more focused on the hardware, right? Whereas software, is, or Apple's got experience both the hardware and the software. So this is kind of a software side to it. You would just think that this is this is just a huge opportunity for a couple, company like Apple to further um, yeah, tie people, you know, its customers and new cu- customers into its existing ecosystem. That's really interesting that you say that because my impression of Android is that they are a lot freer with what they allow to be done to their software. Like they allow end product consumers to like take their software and modify it and create apps and like their app store I think is a little bit more friendly to letting apps into it. So I know that my, like a lot of my really big techie friends are really into Android, right? Because they can like do all these things to it that you can't do with Apple. Apple really does a pretty good job of like hiding its operating system and like how apps work. Like it doesn't want you getting in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the, if you think about like the average consumer, 
That's what does true. the average per they want a seamless, you know, experience that is really easy where you have a really close integration between your software and your hardware. And it's that kind of closed system that differentiates Apple. So if it can marry um, yet another software element like iTunes, right? If it can marry another software element to its hardware products, it just seems like it would provide just yet another, you know, uh, brick, if you will, in, in in its network or you know network effects or its switching costs, uh, you know, in, in, with respect to its consumers. Yeah, that would. This is this is going to be a very interesting field to watch. Um, there's there is one other thing that I wanted to talk about about with currency before we kind of moved on or I guess ended the show because we're definitely running up against time, which is um, the the safety issue from currency, because they are hooking up directly to your bank account. Um, I don't know if there's any fraud protection associated with currency, like you do have with like Visa and MasterCard. Even like like companies like Venmo, um, they have, well, I guess Venmo belongs to, I want to say PayPal now. But they have, they do have some fraud protection built in, right? Like if you report fraud happening, like they will cover up to fifty or up um, most of the costs, except for fifty dollars, I think, depending on how much gets stolen. But I have heard of kind of horror stories with that too. Um, so the question is, like, for an app that's hooking directly up to your bank account, because that's how it works, right? Like they're not using the payment processing network. What kind of protections has Walmart kind of built in to make sure that nothing happens? Yeah, and I obviously I don't know the answer to that question, but I I would I would venture to say that Walmart is all over it. You know what I mean? Or like to to the to the extent that Walmart could be because you know having the sanctity of your pay, you know the safety of your payments is is a really important thing. And and you know to kind of you know I mean that's one of the reasons that people like Apple Pay so much because again I don't understand the technology, but the conversation out there is that Apple Pay is even more secure. Than these new chip card readers, so you know it's just another area where they can differentiate themselves. So if current C and Walmart isn't able to differentiate itself on the safety on the safety element, certainly they would they would they would come down a notch in the view of consumers relative to Apple Pay and the credit card companies. Yeah, um, I think that Apple Pay and currency definitely both have a long way to go in marketing themselves to consumers. Either way, because it shouldn't like it took me a long time to find info on both of them. And it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that hard to find information on a product that you're trying to sell to people. Yeah, and maybe we're just dinosaurs, you maybe. know. <laughs> I know. I don't use it. I'm gonna you're, turn 27 in like three weeks, man. Yeah, like I basically have one you're, foot in the grave. You're approaching 30, and that's when it all ends. <laughs> I remember when I was 14, I thought like, oh my god, there's like a guy who lived down the street who was like 30. I was like, oh, that guy is so old. But uh, but certainly, like the more the people adopt it. You know, it's just this. You know, I think that builds on itself and somewhat of a snowball effect. Yeah. Well, this is something that we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on. Um, thank you very, very much for joining us this week, John. As usual, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that we talk about. Um, don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. Thank you guys very much for joining us. Uh, definitely email us to let us know how you're paying for your groceries this week. Uh, you can reach us at industryfocus at fool.com. Thank you very much and have a great week.